is loving your children. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. And uh, let's just read the whole chapter. How's that? Let's stand together as we read. And uh, read out loud with me, if you would. And let's start in verse number 1. Paul writes here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, the reading of your word. I pray that you would encourage us today, Lord, to love one another and uh, to forgive one another. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to love our children. Although we, we know that the Bible tells us that children are supposed to honor their parents. Lord, help us to be worthy of the honor that they're commanded to give. Help us to be worthy of that. Teach us. Help us to receive some practical knowledge and then give us wisdom on how to put it into practice in our life. I pray that you bless all that is said and done. Thank you for this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, the Bible clearly tells us, tells children, and all of us are children, and sadly some have had their moms or dads go to, be in, go to eternity already, but some of you have your moms and dads. But regardless, we're still children. We have a calling in our life to obey our parents and to honor our fathers and our mothers. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee on the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee. We find in Ephesians 6, chapters 1 through three, and we actually preached on this a few weeks ago, but children, 
You can read it with me if you want, or quote it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. God takes it seriously when we don't obey, and we have... um, Rebellion against our earthly authorities. You know what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 23? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. We don't really hear much preaching on that anymore. We hear a lot of uh, empathy and sympathy towards those that would rebel against authority, but God says authority is there to protect us. We understand governments can go off the rails. But the, the, the reason God, God established government was to bring protection and to bring justice and all of those things. We do see all of the, the terms being twisted and re, uh, redefined today. What is justice anymore? It really it depends on who you're asking. But the government's purpose and its role is there to protect us. Moms and dads, our role is to protect children and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so God says, do not rebel against your authorities. Your authorities are there to protect you. Now, when our authorities rebel against God, then we need to honor God rather than man, obey God rather than man. So, that being said, our children should honor us or honor you because it's the right thing to do. But my question is this morning, is our life, is your life worthy of honor? Do you live in such a way that your children want to honor you? It doesn't mean that they are free from honoring you because you don't, aren't worthy of it. But the question is, they should, the, the statement is they should honor you, but are you worthy of that honor? How do we gain our children's honor today? We need to love our children by we show them love. That's the point of today. Number one, I want to look at the supremacy of love. We're going to jump right into the message here. Chapter 13, you're there. And we'll look at verse 1. And he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. What is he saying? He's saying no matter how religious or spiritual you might think you are, if we do not show real love in our relationships, we're just making noise. We're giving a show of something that's not really there. Because... As you can see here in chapter 13, love is supreme. Love is the main thing that God wants us to show. And uh, it's so clear throughout all scripture. Jesus even said, people will know that you're a disciple of me. They'll know that you're one of my followers if you have love for one another. So important that we show love to our children. Number two, verse number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy, look at it if you would, and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, which would be uh, a great gift to have. But he says, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. And there are some people that have great faith. You know some people like that. But he says, if I have not charity, I am nothing. He's saying faith without love is nothing. 
Wow. Verse 3, go with there, look at it if you would. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, which is an admirable thing. But he says, and though I give my body to be burned, if I sacrifice my very life and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You know, we could be the most liberal and giving parents in the world, but if we don't love our children, then it's really pointless. It makes no difference. Sacrifice and effort and all of the things that you do uh, because it's the right thing to do doesn't matter if you don't have love for your children. Our children don't want our presence, although as a child I loved getting presents at Christmas and on birthdays and at times when I wasn't expecting them even, but our children don't want our presence as much as they need our presence. They need us to be present in, their, in our life. That's how you spell love, by the way. T-I-M-E. You give your children your time. You're, there, you're present in their life. You're there for them. Uh, that's what they, they mean. What, you need to be there for me. Uh, then we see not only that love is supreme, but how do we know that we really love somebody? Let's use this as our litmus test. Verse 4. Charity or love. And, and he's speaking of a, the highest form of love here, a love that gives. Charity suffereth long. It's long-suffering and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't put itself in first place. It's not puffed up. It's not filled with pride. If we are really loving somebody, we will be patient with them. And we're kind. We're not jealous. We don't brag. We're not arrogant. It's not all about us. But then he says in verse number 5, It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. We don't act in an unbecoming way. We don't seek our own things. We put the things, the, the needs of others first. We're not easily provoked. We don't take into account a wrong suffered. It's hard not to do that. There's times where people do us wrong, and we like to remind them what they did to us. And sometimes as children, we do that to our parents. And sometimes even as parents, we do that to our children. But real love covers a multitude of sins. We overlook those things. We say, you know, I love you too much. to to bring that up, to hold that against you. You know, that is like, that is how we can be like Jesus. See, Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. Now, I understand we're not necessarily talking real specifically today about forgiveness, and there's probably a lot more that needs to be said. We understand that sin needs to be dealt with for real reconciliation to happen, okay? But when somebody is wanting to get things right and is repentant and is trying to reconcile the relationship, we need to love them and forgive them. And that's how we can be like Jesus. You know what the devil does? The devil is known as the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that is always trying to stir up strife in the home and stir up uh, bad will in relationships. He's trying to remind people of how that they have done wrong. 
And then verse 6, he says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. We do not rejoice. If we're loving, if we really love someone, we don't rejoice in unrighteousness. We rejoice in truth. We focus on what's true. You know, that's how it is sometimes in relationships. We get off kilter a little bit. Sometimes we think that somebody did something, whether they did it or not. And we create some kind of scenario in our mind and we get sideways with our family even. And, uh, you know, somebody maybe said something and we jump to a conclusion that wasn't true. And we cause ourselves a lot of relationship issues that really shouldn't and didn't have to be there. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> and uh, I remember there was somebody in my life years ago and uh, got some idea about something they thought they heard about me and they were upset at me. And I, I was talking to someone. I couldn't deal with the problem right away. This was long before I was married. And this was when I was in college. And I talked to a friend who was much older than me. And he said, The thing with relationships is we need to focus on the facts. You need to deal in the truth because people get emotional and people begin to think things that aren't true. And then they begin to make decisions based on bad information. And so we need to get back to the truth. And when you really love somebody, it doesn't matter what, they, what you think they thought about you or what you think they said about you. Why don't we focus on what is true? Amen? If you got that, great. If you didn't, that's okay. We'll move on. Didn't apply to you today. Verse number seven. Love, charity, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things things. We bear all things. We believe all things. We hope all things. We endure all things. Love endures a lot of things. It gets through a lot of things. If you've been married for more than 10, 15, 20, 30, some of you 50 years, you know what it means to endure all things. Amen. And when I got married, uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine said, you know, there's three rings to marriage, right? There's the, there's the uh, marriage, or there's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's the suffering. And uh, I said, great, thanks for the encouragement. And, th- and then I heard another friend that said there's actually four rings. I told them about that story. I said, my pastor friend told me this, and he said, actually, there's four rings. I said, well, what's the fourth ring? He said that you forgot about the nose ring. And uh, so anyways, so yeah, that's... That's after you've been married for 50 years. So I, I'm sorry if, if, you'd, if you didn't come to hear that. Delete it. Forget about it. We'll move on. But I want to go back. You know, we endure. If you love somebody, you endure. You endure. You get through things. You put up with things even. Guess what? We're all human beings. We all have, we all have failures. Newsflash, right? You didn't know that, but you're a sinner. You, have a sin, you had a sin nature before you got saved. God gave us a new nature, but we still have that flesh that loves to rear up once in a while, right? But love endures all things. Chapter 13, verse 4. Love, what does he say there? Charity suffereth long, long suffering. It waits. It puts up. It endures. 
Uh, by the way, I, I love what Dr. Jim Van Gelderen has said about verse 4. Love suffereth long. Love waits for the wedding ring. Amen? So many people are jumping into relationships that they shouldn't really be in yet. You know, a, a, a man and woman should not be living together unless they're married. That's not popular today, is it? Maybe saying, Pastor, we've got bigger, bigger fish to fry than that. No, we need to get back to the truth and back to the basics of, of what God says is right and what God says is wrong. We see that verse number 8, the Bible says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall, vanisheth, uh, uh, it shall vanish away. Uh, all of these things that we, we think are so important, but yet we, if we don't have love, it's become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. In verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is charity. So today, how can we know that we need to love our children, but how can we practically express and show and demonstrate our love for our families? There's three T's today. There's time, there's touch, and then there's tender care. Number one today, time. Real parental love is based on Giving children what they need, not necessarily what they want. Giving children what they need, not necessarily what they want. I love what my father-in-law and mother-in-law told my wife and her sisters when they were growing up. We are going to take care of all of your needs. But if you have anything that you want, if we can't provide that, you can get a job. You can do something, and you are more than welcome to buy that more expensive pair of shoes if you want that. But we're going to take care of all of your needs. I think that's a good thing to teach our children because too many times we are, we are spoiling our children. We're not training them to work for things and to earn things and to labor with their hands. We are setting them up for a society that is already very much socialistic and is teaching them. We are teaching them to be dependent on the labor of someone else, and that's free today. But what I'm saying is that we need to give children what they need, and we need to take care of their needs because the Bible says if we don't meet their basic needs, then we're worse than an unbeliever. And so we need to meet their needs. There's no excuse. God gave you children, and God can give you the grace to take care of their needs. Amen? And however, by giving them your time, you can fill both their needs and their wants. We live in a busy world. We live in a hectic world. We live in a place uh, that is more like a rat race than a life. Amen? We live in a world that is, that is filled with things that are pulling at us and are, are, are stealing our time and are pulling our energy from us. We are pulled in every direction. And yet, we need to remember all oh, that time, our valuable commodity is not to be squandered, but to be invested first in our children, in our homes, in your marriage. By the way, 
I think it was John Wilkerson that said this, if you want to give your children a good home, then have a good marriage. I understand some of those things are out of your control, but wherever you can, oh yes, wherever we can, we need to invest in our children. And part of that is investing in your marriage. Mom and dad, our children don't need stuff. They don't need to be plopped in front of the 32 or 55 or whatever inch babysitter just because we need to get a job and work extra hours to get stuff that we don't need. Uh, that we, you know, as they say, you know, find stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like, right? And um, they need you. They need your time. Uh, The second thing is touch, touch. In orphanages throughout the world, babies have learned not to cry because they realize no one would comfort them. They're ignored, forgotten, silent. Exposure to silence at a young age can have catastrophic consequences for children's psychological and cognitive development and their future life. If children are not picked up, they internalize their pain. Again, give them what they need, not necessarily always, always what they want, okay? There's a need for child training. And that doesn't mean that we dote on them and we just do whatever they want. But they need comfort and affection and they need touch. A silent child isn't always a happy one. Humans are born biologically primed for stimulation, and babies who suffer the extreme emotional neglect of being in an institution also produce high levels of stress hormone, cortisol, and this has a damaging effect on the architecture of their brains at a crucial stage in their development. A lot of what happens to a child's development begins, of course, between the, age, between the ages of one and three. That's where the, the majority of that happens. That development is right there in that window. And so uh, 50 years of research has highlighted these negative consequences. Now, that's data. That's metrics. But the Bible tells us that we need to r- nurture our children. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so the reason children today are apathetic and restless many times, understand there are many times there can be cognitive issues that begin at birth or before. But a lot of the issues today are because our world is so caught up in the victim mentality and the the humanistic philosophy of me first, my needs, focus on me, I need attention, I need validation. And and besides all of that uh, psychological babble and all the junk that goes on, uh, there's medication, all of this stuff has given way to the problems that we're having in society. Anxiety, depression, attention-seeking. Not to say, not to say that some of those problems are because of other things and could just be physiological issues. But sleep disorders, eating disorders, um, other behaviors, lower levels of social maturity, attentiveness, lower levels of concentration, lack of communication, uh, lower IQs even, language and speech uh, issues, vocabulary issues. So many of the problems that we're having with our children, our teens and preteens, are due to a lack of real affection 
in the home. They need not only our time, they need our touch. They need our, not, not just us to be there, but to be present, present with them. Even when mom, when your teenage son says, oh, mom, and doesn't want you to hug him, go ahead and do it anyways. Because deep down inside, he says, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. And dad, it's okay to hug your boys too. I understand that many have grown up in a home where they never even heard the words, I love you. That was very, very common not that long ago. But it doesn't mean it's wrong. And when your parents didn't do that, just because they didn't do it is not an excuse for holding back the affection that you need to be showing to your children. I think about in Luke fifteen twenty. what did the father of the prodigal son do? The Bible says that he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Now, these were grown men. You might be saying, I'm not, okay, I'll I'll, I'll say I love you, and I'll give my kids a hug, but I'm not going to kiss my son, okay? (laughs) Dads, you might be thinking, I'm not going to do that. We understand that was their their, uh, culture. But it doesn't mean that your culture is better when you don't say I love you, and you don't show affection, and you don't demonstrate your love. You might be saying, well, I show my kids that I love them by, by providing for them, by giving them a roof over their head and uh, clothes on their back, food on the table. I take care of all of those needs, and that should be enough. I understand you are doing the basics. You are meeting the needs. But I believe that we should go a step further and really demonstrate to our children that we do love them. Because the government can put a roof over your head. And the government can put clothes on their backs. And the government can put food on their table and give them an education. But the government is not their dad. The government is not their mom. And the government cannot do what God has instructed and has, has directed moms and dads to do for their children. And if they don't find genuine familial affection at home, they're going to go into other places to find it. Whether it's a, a promiscuous sexual relationship or what we've seen is, you might be, this might be laughable, but it's to say in our, in our group here, but it's all over our city. People are joining, children are joining gangs, and they've been doing this for decades because they find in the gang something that they're missing at home. Acceptance, love, even affection. Well, that's one of the problems that society has demonstrated. Because of the lack of love and affection in the home, we've seen all of these other issues crop up. Not only do they need your time and your touch, but they need our tender care. Moms and dads, it almost feels like a Father's Day sermon, right? Because Mother's Day is supposed to be all about, you know, love and, and uh, you know, we just love our children, love, love each other. And, but I think there's a need to look at these things. So stay with me. I'm not lecturing you today. I'm just trying to encourage us all. So we need tender care in the home. How do we express that? You express that through, uh, through speaking, Comfort your children. Tell your children that you love them. 
do you tell your child that they are loved, that you love them, that God loves them, that they're special to you, God created them? Uh, Unfortunately, many times what we say or convey to our children is that they are a burden to us. That might not be true, but it's amazing how much is caught and not necessarily always taught. You might not have to say all of those things, but our body language says it. Our lack of attention and lack of presence says it. And so we need to use our voices. We need to speak. We also need to show sympathy where sympathy is needed and empathy. We need to cry with our children, laugh with them. It's okay to express yourself, show your emotions and all those things in the home. It's necessary, I believe, for for well-developed and well-rounded children. We need to be able to do all of those things. We need to also be silent at times. Proverbs 15, 23, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? And uh, Adrian Rogers has said, sit down and listen and you will communicate your love without saying a word. Listen to your children. And uh, it's amazing. I remember growing up, we'd be in the car and my dad would be listening to the radio and him, him and I, just him and I driving down the road. And I'd ask him a question, and he'd turn down the radio. Why? Because not that really what I had to say was that important, but it was important to him. And so convey, convey to your child that they are important to you, that you are listening, that you love them. And your children will tell you things that you never thought they would tell you and things that they should be telling you. If you facilitate and give opportunity and lay a foundation for a conversation. So not only should we listen to our children and be silent, be empathetic and sympathetic, and we should speak to them, but we need to also pray for them. The most tender and loving thing we can do for our children is to pray for them and to pray with them. Pray for them and pray with them. And uh, I know that you might have a child that is rebelling. But one of the ways that you can deal with that and get out in front of it is to sit down with them and to confess your sins and your shortcomings to God, but also to them if if you've sinned against them. And sad to say, we probably all have sinned against somebody in our family at one point or another. But what opens up the floodgates of conversation and spiritual conversation is where we need to go. What opens that up is being transparent and being open about the fact that we too have sinned and have failed at times in our life. Your children want to hear you be honest about things that they already know. Amen? And that will, that will speak volumes of your character, and it will give you credibility when you tell them what to do. When you stand on the sure foundation of the Word of God and you say, I'm a sinner too, but by God's grace I've gotten things right with Him, and I'm getting things right with you, but you need to listen to the Word of God and follow what Scripture says. 
And you're not going to fix the problem by demanding that your children honor you. Or demand that they honor God. The Bible already does that. Amen? But you need to pull on the heartstrings. And they need to know that you love them. They need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that mom and dad love me. And they love me enough that they're not, they're not going to allow me to get away with this. That, that's where respect is earned in the home. When you're honest about your failures, when you're honest about who you are, but you're also honest about your love for your children. So we need to express our love through our time and our touch by also being tenderly caring for our children. We need to listen. We need to be honest with them. I heard a story about a family who was sitting down at the table to eat dinner. And as they began to eat, and I know it's almost 12, we're getting hungry, right? As they began to eat, don't worry, in a minute you won't be hungry. As they began to eat, little Johnny asked his mom, are worms good to eat? The mother who had a weak stomach didn't appreciate the question at the dinner table. And she replied, Johnny, if you say anything else while we are eating, I'm going to send you to your room. And after dinner, she asked little Johnny, she said, Johnny, I want you to know that you uh, would, I want to know why you would ask such a question at the dinner table. Eating worms, what was that all about? Johnny replied, because I saw one in your salad before you ate him. (laughs) Then the mom did get sick. And sometimes it's better for us to just listen to our children. Many many times we think we know what they're going to say. You never, you never know what your children are going to say. I never know what's going to come out of their little mouth. And it got really scary when they started going to school. And they come home and tell you what they told the teacher. Or what they told their best friend. But it's good. It's good for our children to listen. But I think it's even better for us to listen to them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. That's the first commandment with promise. But may we be parents. Moms, may you be a mom. We know that you are a mom, worthy of honor. But let's live up to that, okay? Dads, let's live up to that. And love our children. Love our children. Love our wives, dads, husbands. Love your husband, moms, wives. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I do pray that you bless. Lord, as we come to the conclusion of a sermon, but more importantly, the beginning of an invitation, which is really part of what we're doing. It's part of the sermon. Because there's a need for decision. There's a need for us to take what we've heard And to apply it to our life. In some areas we need to grow. Some things that we we heard, we see in the Bible about long-suffering, about not putting ourselves first, the need for us to love and to forgive, for allow healing to take place, to listen And not always speak. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us as parents, but also just really anybody here that we all have relationships. These principles apply because human relationships are all very, very similar. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to take what we've learned today to grow and then encourage others to grow. As we are here as a church body, iron sharpening iron and provoking one another to love and good works, I pray that you would help us today to make a decision for eternity.